Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Guess what? DigitalOcean recently added MySQL and Redis to their list of managed databases. Their full managed databases lineup now includes the three most popular databases out there for developers, Postgres, MySQL, and Redis. Eliminate the complexity involved in managing, scaling, and securing your database infrastructure, and instead, get back to focusing on building value for your users. Learn more and get started for free with a $50 credit at do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. This is the Change Logo podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of software development. I'm Adam Stachowiak, editor-in-chief here at ChangeLog. On today's show, Jared and I are talking with Jeff Myerson, host of Software Engineering Daily, and also the founder of Find Collabs, a place to find collaborators for open source software. We talked with Jeff about living in San Francisco, his thoughts on podcasting and where the medium is heading, getting through large scale market changes. And we also talk, of course, at length about his new project, Find Collabs, the difficulty of reliably finding people to collaborate with, the importance of reputation and rating systems and his invite to the changelog audience to come and check out what he's doing and find some collaborators. Jeff, what I find interesting about your past is you've lived a lot of cool places. Austin, not far from me. I live in Houston. Chicago, which I have family in Chicago and Chi-Town's an amazing place. And then finally, the epicenter of all things, right? San Francisco. So Seattle as well for a little bit, right? It's been the same mostly because I actually, wherever I am, I'm mostly just on the internet. Yeah. You know, it's really a matter of how's the weather and how steep is the grade of the hills that I'm running when I go for a run outside. But other than that, it's mostly just I'm on the internet. What about in terms of a podcast for those who are recognizing, is that Jeff Meyerson's voice? Yes, it is. Your friend from Software Engineering Daily probably recognize that voice, the clashing of two podcasts that are very similar and often listed right next to each other in people's favorite podcast lists, which we love to see our name there. We love to see your name there as well, Jeff. From a podcaster's perspective, though, like now you're in the valley, you weren't always there. And that's very different from us. And one thing we were talking about when we met at Open Core Summit and we're hanging out was how you have the opportunity for a lot more face-to-face conversations than we do being remote. So I'm just curious if your location now being in the Valley, living in San Francisco, if that's changed your perspective or changed our opportunities in terms of podcasting or even in terms of, you know, the tech industry. Yeah, the reason I came here was to be closer to the things that were really emergent and at the tip of the spear. As you guys know, the world is changing in a way where now there's interesting stuff going on everywhere, and technology is, is infused with whatever local set of concerns there are. So like, you know, in Houston, for example, Adam, I'm sure you could go out and find oil companies and banking industries who are going through a quote-unquote digital transformation. Sure. And there's plenty of interesting software stuff going on there, and you could ask them to point you uh, to their new vendors, and they would have probably a, a wide suite of new vendors and new technologies and new design patterns that they're exploring right now because there's so much going on in software. But what I like about San Francisco is it, there's kind of a filter for people who come here 
where it's sort of hard to make it here. Like it's expensive. It's hard to kind of, you know, elbow your way into the right conversations and figure out kind of how things work here. But there is so much opportunity and the overall ethos of San Francisco is so welcoming and there's such a diverse lineage of arts and culture and technology and all these different things that, you know, for somebody like me who is really addicted to just stimulus of all kinds, I haven't found any any place that comes close to it. Mm. So another trend when you're talking about opportunities elsewhere or not necessarily you know, the ethos of having to be in the Valley, which was very much a a press upon many entrepreneurs and technologists, like you should be in this area. We're seeing opportunity in lots of different places. Now, another thing that we're seeing, which as a podcaster I've been tracking, is the move away from uh, in-office colleagues to remote work. And I, we just had a, a call with, with Bob Martin where we were talking about the pros and cons of that. You know, A team that's co-located, he says, will always be more productive together than a team that is distributed. That being said, we have huge personal and life advantages of remote work. Kind of a side thing that's happening there, and something I think about, I'm curious as a podcaster, Jeff, if you think about this, is the thing that remote changes for podcasters is it removes the drive time commute, which is where a lot of our audience is listening to this. In fact, if you're out there listening, you're probably in a car, you're probably on public transit, you're probably on your way to or from work, Curious if you're if you're thinking about that or if you're concerned that this awesome thing where people can work remote is not so awesome for us who kind of have that commute as a time for them to listen to our shows. Bob Martin is Uncle Bob, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think Uncle Bob is hilarious, and I think he's got a lot of software wisdom. But I got to say, I can't disagree more with him on this one. And I think it makes sense that he believes that because that has been an antiquated axiom for a while, but, you know, for a long time it was just an axiom. And the reality is, like, our current structure of how software is built is not going to last. This model of gigantic corporations where most people go in and do extremely boring work all day and hate their lives, despite the fact that they have the skills that they could use to build world-changing technologies from their bedroom, that's just like a market inefficiency that will erode over time. And one thing that makes that glaringly obvious is just you guys know how pleasurable it is to work from home and live the life of a software podcaster. It is unbelievably enjoyable. Mm -hmm. You know, I wake up pinching myself every day, and my sense is that you guys have you know, an element of that as well. It's like all you could ever want, basically. And yet we're not even like, I'm wearing my Indie Hackers t-shirt right now. We're not even close to the top of the totem pole of the Indie Hackers in terms of like how much money we're making or the kind of freedom that we truly have. Because we're all, we're on a schedule, like we got to crank, you know, these Indie Hackers, they just make a business and they just like, they go to sleep and it makes money. And most people just don't know about this movement. Uncle Bob is just wrong here. And yet you're drawn in the valley. Absolutely, because there are new things that are extremely hard to build and that make sense to co-locate for. You know, if you're building out Databricks and you're trying to like go to market with a world-changing data engineering technology, if you're building something as novel and strange and controversial as Airbnb or Facebook, you basically need to treat 
your company like a military force and you know you simply cannot get the level of necessary bandwidth from digital communication and you cannot get the level of kind of understanding of the discipline of your workforce or the creativity of your workforce through Slack channels. All due respect to GitLab. Yeah, I mean, you need a face-to-face for a reason. It's called humanity because it's actually humanity. It requires humans. And I think as part of that, you know, human communication has evolved in the last 100 years because of the internet. I, sorry, not even the last 100 years, last 25 or so years, really. You know, and so communication has always been in the human race face-to-face. You know, for a while there we had television and that was, we still do have For a while. Sorry. <laughs> but it's becoming less and less important though. We, it's sort of like uh, abstracted to something else oh, now. video. Then you had this advent of the telephone, you know, maybe even say a walkie-talkie. But the point is, is that human communication thrives, in my opinion, by face-to-face. But I'm on your side, Jeff, where I'm advocating, and I did uh, on that show with Uncle Bob, that there's trade-offs. Right. Like if you're a distributed team, it's not going to be the same as a co-located team. And there's trade-offs on how you build that team. And as you mentioned, you don't build a Facebook or a Google or a Airbnb with a co-located team in everything. You've got to have, you know, sort of this militaristic attitude and formation around the ranks so that the humans can thrive together. It's so weird to talk about humans as a human. It's weird. Anyways. So I guess I'm not quite following you. Are you saying he's right or wrong then, Uncle Bob? Because you're saying we have to be militaristic and face-to-face, but you're saying that he's wrong about remote work. So maybe, Jeff, what you're saying is like in the short term, it's true, but in the, over the long run, as we get more used to this kind of communication, as we get more, we see the benefits of remote work and, and working from home, that the trade-offs will be no longer worth it, and everybody will be working wherever they want to be because our tooling, our skills, our communication skills will all have advanced so far that there's no advantage or that the the law of diminishing returns on the co-location will no longer be worth it. Maybe. We don't know. I think you're broadly correct. It's my favorite kind. <laughs> no, but like we don't really know what kinds of technology companies are going to be built right. in, in five years. And like that is one of the things I like about Silicon Valley is like whatever the weirdest technology style is it's probably Mm. occurring in silicon valley so like drones on the blockchain right like just to you know buzzword bingo yeah some buzzword bingo that actually like it could it could make sense eventually like maybe we need a decentralized you know drone network because like only the blockchain will enable the you know necessary crowdsourced security protocols that will secure our drone force because the security problems are so difficult like maybe i don't know whatever like that problem sounds difficult enough that you would want a co-located workforce who can really hash through problems quickly and effectively but who knows like maybe communication will get good enough zoom vr or something so let's assume a world where the benefits of remote are massive and it's become the way that developers live their lives and work when are they going to have time to listen to software engineering daily? Yeah, I mean, I kind of just operate software engineering daily, assuming that whatever we're going through with podcasting is a total bubble. So, like, I'm basically ready for the business to die. You know, I, I, I assume <laughs> it will. Okay, so you're living in a world where you assume at some point it's going to go away. Oh, yeah. Like, it seems almost in the near future to you. So, you know what I mean? Like, you're not banking on software engineering daily as your long-term forever thing, you're sort of assuming that at some point, which, so most businesses at some point, either fail or change. 
dissolve. Yeah, there's some, there's some sort of change. Like it's going to be a case, but you're saying the actual podcasting business bubble will change. I mean, maybe it's just like this is the innovator's dilemma, right? Like you don't want to put yourself, as Jeff Bezos says, in a situation where you have to throw a Hail Mary. You don't want to get backed into a corner where your podcast literally cannot make enough money that you can, you know, pay for pay for your health care or something. Like you just don't mm-hmm. want to get into that situation. And like yeah. I'm kind of exaggerating. I'm like sure. in saying that um, you know, it's yeah, it's gonna die because like probably I could get on the Patreon dole if, you know, if all else failed. <laughs> but I mean, I'd rather just assume I'm gonna die because I don't know if you guys know, but like I used to play poker and basically the bottom dropped out of the poker market. Like I think most people who are in the technology industry have not lived through a significant crash. I mean, maybe like, you know, the crypto people who, you know, were like day trading coins. Uh, sorry, sorry to curse, but you can bleep that. Uh, um, you said Bitcoins. It's okay. <laughs> I did, definitely did oh, not no. say Bitcoins. Oh no, you can't. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I've been through a market crash and I was not prepared for it the first time. Now I'm ready. So the answer to Jared's question on what do you do with listeners if the remote workforce is remote and not co-located and there's no commute, your response is you're, you have a plan B. Go do something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think okay. that's a good, I mean, you can't turn back time. I mean, things change. Right. If there's no market, there's no yeah, market. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think my response would be, I think that they're still listening. You just have to augment and change how you deliver the message because clearly there's an interest. Otherwise, they wouldn't have listened in the first place. Now they just have less time. So the interest may remain. It's just how do you now fit in a new time slot or less time? So we see a lot of people uh, listening to our show, mowing the lawn, uh, taking a run, yeah. you know, hanging out with the sleeping child on their belly or whatever, hanging out or whatever. Like there's different places where they change or they listen. So I, my answer is I think the commute will eventually go away completely, but I don't think we will lose our listenership. It'll just change how we reach that listenership. And I would say to that good riddance, because I would much rather have all these people get rid of that commute than like maintain our podcast. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's like a much better, bigger win for humanity. But these are the funny and interesting things that we think about. Like, wow, how could yeah. remote work modify what we do? And I think, yeah, you fit into where you can and you provide value where you can. And the fact is, is that mediums do change. I mean, look at the yeah. world 15 years ago before YouTube existed. It's massively different now. And that's just like yeah, the way it is. So. I think specifically to us too, as technologist podcasters, like people who speak about software, technology, et cetera, you have to ask yourself, how big of an audience do you need to make a living? You know, in your case, Jeff, you are solo. In Jared and I's case, we're partners. So we both have, you know, we're two people and families. So our burden is probably a slightly heavier assuming uh, than yours might be. So, you know, to answer that question, it might be, well, you might need to double your audience. You might need to only have X. Who knows what that X is? But at the same time, you also have this sort of like loyalty of 1,000. So if you have 1,000 loyal followers, that's enough to some degree potentially to really kill it. But you have to ask yourself, how much do you really need? Right. How many listeners do you really need to thrive? Doing what we do in particular. Well, it's probably worth uh, turning the camera outward or stop gazing at our navels <laughs> so much and uh, gaze at Jeff's navel. I don't know. Is that a weird thing to say? Oh, Let's gosh. talk because on, the thing that about software engineering daily, which I learned recently, Jeff, is like it's your I mean, you put out five shows a week. It's it's very impressive. You're cranking them out. You work very hard. You've been doing that at a sustained pace for a very long time. And it's a high quality show, and yet it's not 
it doesn't seem like that's your passion. You have these other ideas, you have other projects. Today we're going to talk about Find Collabs, which is something entirely different, maybe somewhat related. So let's turn to Find Collabs a little bit and say, where did this idea come from? What is it? And is it related to SE Daily at all? Or is it like just a completely different thing? So it's a it's Find Collabs is a solution to a set of problems that I have been dealing with since college. And the main problem is how do you find a collaborator who you can trust to work on a project with using the internet? So the way that this came together is I, I'm a musician, and in college I was writing a lot of music. I was composing a lot of music on the computer. I use a program called FL Studio. It's kind of like an IDE for music, and my friends are musicians. Like they, you know, they're like really good musicians, but they don't ship. I tried <laughs> so many times. I was just like, hey, can you guys just like come over? Like just my friend who's a guitarist. Like, can you come over and just like play some riffs? I've got a great mic set up. Like, I got four hours blocked off on Saturday. I want to help you bring out your best work. We're going to write a song together. It's going to be amazing. And they always flake. And just always, you can't, I couldn't get them to be reliable. And I just, I didn't understand. I couldn't understand why people did not want to actually ship. And so I have been unable to find collaborators for music. And, you know, I became a Quora power user near the end of my time in college. And Quora is amazing because they managed to gamify the question and answer process and build a reputation system around that. And so... The idea of Fine Collabs is to create a reputation system around people creating projects and contributing creatively to each other's projects in order to build this, to build your reputation. Because, like, I built a reputation on Quora, and that was kind of the backbone. That was a bootstrap for a lot of the things I did after Quora. Like, Quora is just a random, like, basically a blogging platform. Mm. And, you know, I use that to bootstrap into a lot of other things. So, like, these reputation platforms are super novel. This is like a super new thing we have on the internet. The idea that you can build a public reputation. Yeah, we've got LinkedIn. Like LinkedIn is kind of this like JSON blob of reputation. But like with Fine Collabs, I want to create something that's highly ordered. It's like you can say, here are the things I've done. Like I did this on Saturday. Like I wrote software here. I fixed your bug. I wrote a song here. I wrote the lyrics here. I fixed this production issue here. Like, here's my backlog of stuff I've done. You want to collaborate with me? Like, I've got a good reputation. So if you want to collaborate with me, you better bring a good reputation as well. I want to bring together people who are serious about their work, whether it's creative work or mm-hmm. work work or whatever. And so that's kind of the goal of Find Collabs. Mm. So is collaboration, collaboration, collaboration in terms of if I'm collaborating on music, is that just transferable? over to collaborating on software, which is transferable over to collaborating on a quilt, or I, I don't know what other things you're going to cl- collaborate on, uh, medical stuff or anything creative. Help me out here. Cause I haven't, uh, I'm not very creative, but like, can you yeah. just say, well, it's a collaboration platform, but <laughs> maybe the things that you do to collaborate, are they the same across these different niches? Right. I mean, as you guys probably know, I'm pretty terrible at focusing on a specific thing. And so like the initial go-to-market with Find Collabs was 
look, find collabs for anything. Like, find your collaborators for online quilt making. Why not? Right, right. And music and whatever. And, like, I tried to, like, make all these different projects. And, like, it kind of, like, some people gained some traction, but... Now I've kind of done, you know, the thing where you like, you make a mistake of starting too broadly and then you really focus and you double down on the thing that works the best. So obviously my best distribution channel is to software engineers. So I have kind of focused Find Collabs into a software, a a platform for software engineers to collaborate on mostly open source software. I love GitHub, obviously. GitHub has the LinkedIn problem where, not the JSON blob resume problem, but... You mean Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no. sure, whatever. That's a joke. No, but like, <laughs> so the, <laughs> the GitHub problem and the LinkedIn problem are, what do you do when you have too many opportunities? Like, what do you do when there is so much opportunity in your social network that you, like, you can't capture it all? And like, <laughs> with GitHub, it's like an added problem because like, what do you do when your social network is also an infrastructure tool? Like, you just can't do everything that GitHub could do. Mm-hmm. Like, GitHub could obviously encapsulate the functionality that Find Collabs has right now. And you can use GitHub to find collabs. Like, you can find collaborators. There's so much latent information on GitHub. Like, that's great. But, you know, I don't see a whole lot of people, like, sort of finding collabs on GitHub. Like, I do see people, like, joining, you know, Kubernetes, the Kubernetes project or whatever. But it's like... Find Collabs is really, at this point, focused on open source software projects. Um, you know, hence my, uh, you know, hence hence my uh, my cloying to come on Changelog and uh, and promote my my own platform. It's a place where people can find collaborators for their open source projects. It's a matchmaking tool, a dating website for open source. Mm. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is that I can't tell you where I would go on the internet to find people that I share interests with. You know, in software, sure, it's a little easier. We have a couple of different directions. But even when you go to a project's homepage, it's still difficult to find your way in, right? To find that they're even seeking collaborators. Sure, it's open source. You assume contributions or, you know, potential ability to become a maintainer or a core team member is an opportunity just because of by the nature of it. But there's no real direct conduit where in the case of something like Find Collabs, you're saying that, there's a lot of people out there with shared interests that don't know each other that need a place to essentially gather or look for opportunities because in GitHub, it's latent. The data's there, but it's not surfaced. And in Find Collabs, you're surfacing these opportunities to have shared interests and actually work together and potentially even provide communication opportunities. Not just, hey, I like uh, software. Do you like software? Let's make software together. But how do you do it? It seems like to me that the so the, there's a few different aspects of Find Collabs today, and of course, like all projects, it's evolving and changing. And you've even changed probably since we talked a few months back. The aim, because I know it was more music focused, or more broad, like you said, Find Collabs for anything you're focusing in on software. It, does it seem like the reputation system itself is like the nut? That's the the linchpin of Find Collabs idea, and you're building tooling around that. But if you can provide this service of this reliable reputation system for people to work together, then that's a hugely valuable thing. That's the long-term vision. I mean, you kind of need a lot. I mean, bootstrapping a reputation system is like super hard. Airbnb, right? Airbnb in the limit 
is a reputation system. But obviously, like, there's some bootstrapping that needs to be done because it starts with like no reputations. So if you try to say, hey, we're a reputation-based home sharing platform on day one, like, okay, well, show me your reputation. Was like, well, we got some photos. Right. Uh, like, you know. No one stayed here yet. <laughs> no one has stayed here yet. Right. Good luck. And they also have the advantage of that bootstrap process, I think, is much more iterative than with collaborating on a thing because I can stay at a different Airbnb seven nights a week, right? Like I I could start one week with no reputation and by the end of the month I could have 30 reviews Mm -hmm. because each night is a new opportunity for a review. But on collaborating on software, like these are long-term projects sometimes, right? You don't know right away if somebody is reliable or they're going to show up until, you know, maybe they showed up and they were awesome for three weeks and then like week four, they started to flake on you. And so it's going to take a lot longer to build those reputations because you just have longer iterations. Yeah. It's also difficult, I would say, to quantify a reputation. Like what are the criteria for which people are, you know, gain this reputation? Is it simply by showing up? Is it by contributing awesome things? Is it, you know, through pros? Is it, you know, in what way can you quantify a reputation? You know, and is it a star system? Is it uh, written form? Is it criticism based? Like if I collaborated with Jared and Jared flaked on me on, on week four, as his example showed, do I showcase Jared's, you know, reputation with me by saying he failed me and then therefore he's a failure and he will fail you as well? My incompetence on display. Right. Like, how do, how do you display reputation? What are some of, well, I guess maybe less how does Fine Collabs do it, more what are your thoughts yeah, on I'm displaying sure reputation? About this. Yeah. So I think it will work similarly to how the reputation systems we already see in place are playing out. So my favorite reputation-based marketplace is Fiverr. Do you guys use Fiverr or Upwork? Mm, heard of it. Haven't Familiar used it with yet. Fiverr. Okay. I mean, if you're, I would heavily encourage you guys to, to check it out and just see what you can do with it. It's a great place to spend money. <laughs> it's like, you know, I know some people like get their jollies from like impulse shopping at a mall or something. I get my jollies from impulse shopping on Fiverr. Like you can oh, find gosh. like That's awesome. game <laughs> designers. Beats? Uh, musicians, uh, like, you know, so I wrote an album with, uh, musicians from Fiverr. Uh, so like I found a bunch of like, like, um, singers on Fiverr, you know, some guitarists, like some violin, what, I mean, I've gotten design work, you know, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. Some software work, you know, it kind of varies like what it's good for, but like, it's definitely the future, like in some ways that, that people are kind of underestimating. But anyway, like, you know, when you hire a singer on Fiverr, it's a very subjective, you know, process. Like, even more subjective than, like, Airbnb in some ways. Like, my typical workflow for writing that album was, you know, I would have a song written. I would have the, basically, you know, the whole track written. I would sing the lyrics, and then I would send them, like, basically, here's my take with my horrible like atonal voice here's the lyrics written down sing this give it back to me and then they would sing it they'd give it back to me we'd do a revision you know in most cases like hey you did a few things wrong can you like sing this like a pitch higher or something and uh and you iterate on it 
And then eventually, like, they give you a finished product that's satisfactory, and you give them a five-star rating. And you also give them, so, like, Fiverr has a star rating plus a review system. So, you know, that gives you some some uh, highly ordered, like, dimensionality and some, some like, less ordered dimensionality mm-hmm. in the review system. Uh, and I think the reviews are optional. There's, like, additional, like, little reviews you can add. Like, you can really add, like, give a lot of feedback or a little bit of feedback. So... There's a wide range of amount of feedback you can give, but the net result is that, you know, they develop this reputation system that's like, you know, pretty amazing for designers and creators and, you know, artists and game animators, like game animators making a living on Fiverr. It's like quite amazing. Or like, you know, Twitch, like I'm the person you go to when you need to set up like your Twitch channel. Like I'll help you with all the marketing and stuff for setting up your Twitch channel, like those that kind of random long tail yeah. work that you guys know as podcasters, like I know as a podcaster, there's a lot of random long tail work that I need help with. Mm-hmm. And if I can leverage somebody on Fiverr, like I will absolutely pay them thirty dollars to solve a problem that would take me five hours. And sorry, I'm I'm going on a tangent here, but Fiverr is amazing. Uh, and so you I like Fiverr a lot. I clearly I love it. Fiverr is like it's. I mean, oh gosh, it is the <laughs> AWS for people, basically. Okay. Uh, it really is. So Fiverr is very under the radar. This episode is brought to you by KubeCon Cloud Native Con, and you were invited to attend this flagship conference from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. It's happening March 30th through April 2nd next year, 2020 in Amsterdam. This conference gathers the adopters and technologists from leading open source and cloud native communities. Use the code KCEUCHANGELOG to get 10% off your registration. Again, KCEUCHANGELOG. That's KC for KubeCon, EU for Europe, and changelog for changelog. Or check the show notes for our special link to learn more and register, and a link to the Convention Boss letter. Again, check the show notes for our special link to learn more and register. Can I ask you a question real quick then on on Fiverr that relates probably back to Fine Clubs? Have you considered this idea of portable reputation? So if it seems like you've been able to collaborate very well on Fiverr, similar to the way you might want to on Fine Collabs, and one of the ways you've done that is by accessibility to talent and being able to, I guess, potentially see they've done a good job elsewhere, they're reputable. Is there an idea where maybe there's a world where they're where the reputation system is an API, for lack of better terms, and you can share this gig economy reputation system. Fine Collabs can use it, Fiverr can use it, or is it simply just a proprietary world where you have to build your own each time? I mean, I would not be opposed to what you are describing developing. Because would it be nice to like start Fine Collabs leveraging that of course. reputation model and that marketplace? And Absolutely. Or does Fine Collabs simply become a feature of what Fiverr could build? No, so like you could imagine, so we have like a sign up with GitHub, right? You could definitely imagine a sign up with GitHub where you sign up with GitHub uh, into Fine Collabs 
and then findcollabs crawls your repositories and figures out how many like commits you've made. And then it's like, whoa, this person is really great at contributing to software projects. Uh, they just do a great job, and, and they're like, they're always, you know, you look at their like status page, it's like always green. You know, it's like straight mm-hmm. up green, green, green. And then we could give them like a high reputation, just kind of inferred from their past behavior. That could totally work. I think that would be great. I think if you take it too far, yeah. it becomes the the Chinese credit system. It's a data point, but it's not. Yeah, I can't. Uh, An indicator, not not uh, not truth. A source of potential truth. Yeah, and you don't want this to be centralized into one kind of provider, but like having it like I like the idea of federated like federated rating identity. Well, I think in that kind of world, you can't really be like Jeff M one two five. You got to be, <laughs> you know, you got to be you. All the way, right? Totally. It can't be some inauthentic identity. You've got to be... I mean, you could do pseudonyms. Like, there's some great pseudonyms on sure, Twitter. Like, sure, I will. I will give a high rating to certain pseudonym accounts. <laughs> what I mean, though, does this system require... So I, I think of it like we use Breakmaster Cylinder for a lot of our music production. In fact, you know, everything we do is Breakmaster Cylinder uh, music. And so we know that Breakmaster Cylinder is... What is that? Is that that's a platform for finding, like... Yeah, that's basically, it's a person or persons. We're not really sure. They have this level of anonymity. So Breakmaster Cylinder is... Mysterious. A person. Yeah, it's... Um, I, I don't know how to describe Breakmaster It's a musician. Cylinder. They're a person. They're a musician. Musician, composer. But the point is, is that... I guess what I was trying to drive at was like, should people on this kind of system, this reputation system, it would seem you'd want to attach that to an identity. But I can see how a Breakmaster Cylinder wouldn't want to be their actual name. So you have to have sort of aliases or as you said, pseudonyms. Yeah. yeah I mean, you like Banksy, I think Banksy makes a good living. I don't know how he sure. makes a living, but, or it or them. They, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's like Breakmaster Cylinder. Banksy makes a living by burning its <laughs> own work. <laughs> right. <laughs> shredding it. Shredding it. That's right. It wasn't burned. It was shredded. Literally. Shredding it. Yeah. Well, I think what you're at that, that's a whole different level though. Fiverr has one of these systems. Uber has one of these systems. Amazon has one of these systems, right? Goes on and on. And I'm curious if what's happened on Fiverr and what could potentially be a pitfall for Fine Collabs is happening, what's happened on Uber, where it's like anything less than a five-star rating is like death to these drivers in certain cases, right? Like they will do anything because there's like this presumption of if it's not perfect, like a four-star is really bad. And it's like, I don't know where that ethos came from, but it exists and now it's like everyone's a slave to it. Is there anything like that on Fiverr? Or like, I could see where like, maybe I'm a good collaborator, but I had a bad day or like, we just didn't get along and the person reviewed me poorly. And now I got this bad reputation and it's maybe it was a personal thing because collaboration is multifaceted. It's not like just nuts and bolts. Was it delivered on time? Was it high quality, et cetera? Have you thought about, about that? possibility and like how do we guard against those kind of issues well on uber there's a a lot of drivers and so right we should have extremely high standards uh and plus it's like people can die you know if you don't die and the ride is like safe and clean and and the driver seems like he's gotten enough he or she has gotten enough sleep like it's pretty easy just like yeah here's a five-star rating you know like all good if they do something wrong, that's a pretty bad sign. Like, it's a pretty well-ordered transaction. 
obviously there's subtlety and that's why there's five stars and you can do tipping and ratings and and like and you know you can write into customer service and tell them or something you know there's like all kinds of of embossed reputation reviews that you can add fiverr you know there's a much i mean first of all this is like a very new domain so like and, and also in if this was a, an issue for find collabs it'd be a very good problem to have i would be very happy for to sure. work through this problem it's kind of actually the same thing the more that i think about it like if you work with a designer and you see their portfolio when you hire them, you see the best that their portfolio has to offer. If you're not a jerk, you're going to cut them some slack. You're going to admit this is creative work. Like if they showed up, they were reliable. You're going to give them five stars. And part of the reason for that is because like most people, they flake. And like if somebody it's almost like if somebody doesn't flake on you That's true. You are just so grateful. Just so grateful because this the modus operandi of most people is just yeah, I don't want to deal with that commitment. I'm just going to ghost. You know, it's like okay, cool. That's like, so good, true. Good luck succeeding. I mean, that's a life hack for those listening. If you want to completely stand out from a crowd and just like set yourself apart in the world is when you say you're going to do something, do it. You know, like, don't be a flake. Like, it's 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 amazing that the bar is that low for success in many places. Yes. But it really, really is. Like, if we can find somebody who's reliable and does what they say they're going to do, I know I personally will bring them business for the rest of my life. Because yes. if I can find that person, I love them. Because they're hard to find. So that's a very good point, and it's so true. Well, let me ask you guys both a question then. When you seek... Uh, a collaborator, whether it's on fine collabs or just generally, one of the things you often ask people, especially if you have a reference, is would you work with them again? And often, for me at least, my willingness to work with that person that's being referred to me, if they answer yes, is like, sure, I'll work with them if you would work with them again. But if you would say no, then I would probably say no as well. Do you think it's just that simple? That if you can, if the review system is, for lack of better terms, binary in the fact that like, the people reviewing them would just say, would you work with them again? Yes or no. And if the answer is yes, then higher credibility. If the answer is no, then it's a decline in credibility. You need to have the option to not fill out a review. So, you know, there are many contexts. Just a yes or no then. If it's just yes or no, uh, like, would you work with this person again? Um, I'm answering yes or I'm not answering at all in most cases. Like, okay. Because... There's just risk. Like, you just don't want to give somebody a bad rating because they could be a sociopath. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. It's sticky. Well, I guess what I'm trying to drive at is less the semantics around it or the the mechanics you can build around it. And more like, for me, it's like, if I'm going to choose to work with somebody, it's because somebody said, yeah, I'd work with them again. And so my inclination is to work with them as well because somebody I know and trust or at least somebody I can perceive to know and trust, whether it's an internet friend or literal neighbor friend or something like that, then my trust is extended by their willingness to work with them again. Well, for and sure. What you're saying is that you're you're saying you wouldn't say no because of uh, a social fear of some sort. So I'm saying like the you know if you want it, the honest truth about somebody, like especially if they're like a crucial hire, you have to back channel references. There's this really famous book about, uh, well, not famous, but like pretty popular book. Like if you're trying to hire in Silicon Valley in particular, or really anywhere, uh, there's a really good book on hiring called, I think it's called The Who or Who or like The Who Test or something. And like multiple very successful entrepreneurs have referred to this book to me as like, this is the way that you hire. And it basically boils down to references. 
just back channel as many references as you, as you can. Everybody okay. that is worth working with has a, a gigantic list of good references. It's that simple. And the people who only have no references or dubious references or references from people who seem sketchy, like just don't work with them unless they're yeah. like like an intern or they're really young or they seem like they've recently gone through some kind of transformation in their life and you want to take a gamble on them, but like you probably don't want to put that person as like your head of sales in a 400 person organization. But what we're talking about is collabs though. So it seems like small teams. Yeah. Right? So I mean, we're not talking about head of finance at a large corporation on fine collabs. I'm not going there to get a hire. I'm going there to find people that have like-minded interests. And uh, if I'm somebody who's running the project or somebody who's running the collab, then I want to allow people in or disallow people in based on what, I guess, reputation? Is that it? I mean, it's not really a disallowance or an allowance. I mean, the way that it works today is you create a project and anybody can join the project. And you can kick people out. Like if you're the admin, you're the project manager, you can kick anybody out. But like the default is anybody's allowed to join. Like we could add permissions and whatever and like hopefully, you know, we will at some point uh, once we have demand for that kind of thing. But like right now it's like, you know, you show up, you say, hey, can I like jump into your music project or can I jump into your like open source compiler thing for Rust? Like, yes, <laughs> you know, please. I'm working on this by myself. Please help me. Right. So so what you need is uh, the marketplace, as you mentioned before, prior to concerning yourself with reputation. So we're actually talking about reputation early and putting a lot of weight on it. It seems like you're more of a matchmaker on interests. Yes. And... In the long term, as you mentioned, reputation is going to matter. Yes. But not today, right? Because, well, like, today it's almost like, hey, if you're here, you're here, and you're, you know, we're going to try you out no matter what because the demand is low. Well, so this is another reason why I uh, wanted to come on and, uh, you know, in extreme self-interest, wanted you guys to interview me is because it's hard for people to understand this. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a carrot on a stick. And the carrot is the long-term vision for getting a reputation, for building a reputation that will help you. That's a lot of, like, buy-in to agree to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, frankly speaking, Fine Collabs is in the early days, and it's, like, hard to get people to understand this. I'm do I'm really doing my best. You know, I'm trying to paint a picture of a world where people can reliably find collaborators for their projects, and there will be a norm of not flaking. Or if you're going to not do something, like, just say, hey, I can't help out right now. I'm piecing out. Like, sorry. You know, maybe next time. And that just doesn't exist today. Hmm. So the carrot is for early adopters, because that's what you're trying to get is the bootstrapped early community. Everything gets easier. It's one of those perpetual problems for entrepreneurs. Like everything gets better as the network effect takes on. But until there's a network yes. effect, it sounds like the carrot that you're offering to the early adopters who are out there listening, potentially are interested, is it's easy to build your reputation right now. Be correct. Because it's low-hanging fruit, or there's just not much competition, so to speak, in the collaboration marketplace on Fine Collabs, and so you can get in early, build that great reputation, and if and when Fine Collabs gets network oh. effects, then you're going to be, you're going to have a strong reputation built in. Correct, and, and, and this happened with Quora. It happens with all the new platforms. Like, the people who are early adopters, and then the platform takes off, they have this huge, like, head start. Yeah. You know, Quora did this thing to accelerate their growth called the Top Writers Program, where basically people who wrote a lot on the platform and wrote good answers got a big red, you know, 
top writer thing. Something and they, special. Something yeah. special. And they got their answers promoted, and you know they got a nice fleece in the mail. They got invited to these amazing events where all the top writers were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they created this this form of scarcity to reward the people who were really putting in the work in developing their platform. Like, and that level of honesty between the platform owner and the platform creator, the basically the platform owner saying, "Look, you guys are." building this for us like we understand that we're going to reward you that adds fuel to the fire and like i would like to do that at some point uh we, we kind of did that in the early days with the find collabs hackathons where basically i just like you know earned money uh by you know rewarding people for their projects on find collabs it was a little too early to do that i would like to do other things like that but but yes i mean y- you get it you get yeah it. right well even based on the ratings mention on the homepage, you got communication, projects, video, and then trust. And inside of trust, you say, as a prescription, it seems, reward a great collaborator with five stars if someone is flaky and unresponsive, give them one star. Correct. It seems like to me, and now we're just riffing here, is that five stars, these kind of rating systems are very difficult because the star ratings are so subjective. And that's why I was Mm -hmm. kind of driving out with the Uber scenario where it's like, it's five stars or bust. I've noticed that certain recommendation engines... Well, even in his copy, it says that basically. Right. It's so I, and some, some recommendation engines, such as Netflix, eventually moved on to like, did you like this show or not? And it's like, yes, I did. Yeah. And it's kind of going back to, Adam, what you're talking about with like, would you work with this person again? Or would yeah. you recommend this collab? Like maybe just thumbs up, thumbs down is better because now I don't have to decipher what is three and a half stars. Or I know I go on Amazon sometimes and I'll look at two products and they both have like thousands of reviews and one's at like four and a half and the other one's at four. And I'm like, what's the actual quantifiable difference there? I don't know. I'll go with the four and a half, you know? And it's right. like, well, it's probably nothing. It's probably really. nothing. And then of course they got the, the big, then it's just they got the big problems of, you know, paid reviews yeah. and all that kind of crap. You could buy those on Fiverr, by the way. <laughs> uh, zing. Well, that's, I, I, I like that you're on my riff then. So you're, are you agreeing with me, Jared? That that's, sort of a system that it keeps it simple and it's enough to, to understand if you do or don't want to work with somebody. But then I, I also understand the granularity argument because again, going back to now Uber, and I know we're just camping out on recommendation systems or on reputation systems, but maybe that's just the point here is that, you know, there are different aspects to that ride. And like, would you ride with this person again? Maybe it doesn't allow you to express your concerns, right? Mm. Or maybe it was like, oh, well, it does for me. Because there was somebody I came home from in Denver yeah. uh, on the way to the airport. I would never get in that person's car Sure, again. sometimes it's fine. But what if it's like a person that you totally ride with again, but they still, like, they talked a little bit too much? And you just want to, like, dock them for, like, well, don't talk to me quite so much. But it's not like it's dangerous. So maybe first-class citizen. That's don't leave a rating. Mm, see? Okay. Here's the interesting is we all create these systems in our mind. Like, I didn't even think about don't create a rating. I'm like, well, they're asking me to review. My don't create a rating is what I'm don't care. I'm like, yeah, no, I yeah. don't want to. Yeah. Well, I think, okay, so I, I would put weight on the, would you work again with them? Yes or no first. And then second, beyond that, if I want to get into the granularity of the person, written reviews of some sort, whether it's eBay style, would buy again, plus plus, whatever, you know, or just some sort of narrative from the person and then I think back to the concern you had, Jeff, was whether or not this person is a sociopath <laughs> and if they're going to hunt you down. Is that a checkbox? 
and get you. A new Uber, it's anonymized. Like I don't think the the drivers know who is rating them what. Although if they if they drive and drop you off and then immediately like get kicked off of the Uber platform, like they're gonna be able to figure out like who, right. whose rating resulted them in getting kicked off the platform. They could assume, they and they might it, drive like right that. back to, wh- to to where they dropped you off. Danger. Well, that's why you have delayed Dangerous. jobs. So you can just delay that job until the next day. <laughs> well, we hope so. How often do you think about internal tooling? I'm talking about the back office apps, the tool the customer service team uses to access your databases, the S3 uploader you built last year for the marketing team, that quick Firebase admin panel that lets you monitor key KPIs, and maybe even the tool that your data science team had together so they could provide custom ad spend insights. Literally every line of business relies upon internal tooling, but if I'm being honest, I don't know many engineers out there who enjoy building internal tools, let alone getting them excited about maintaining or even supporting them. And this is where retool comes in. Companies like DoorDash, Brex, Plaid, and even Amazon, they use retool to build internal tooling super fast. The idea is that almost all internal tools look the same. They're made of tables, dropdowns, buttons, text inputs, and retool gives you a point, click, drag and drop interface that makes it super simple to build these types of interfaces in hours, not days. Retool connects to any database or API, for example, to pull data from Postgres, just write a SQL query and drag and drop a table onto the canvas. And if you want to search across those fields, add a search input bar and update your query, save it, share it. It's too easy. Retool is built by engineers explicitly for engineers. And for those concerned about data security, Retool can even be set up on premise in about 15 minutes using Docker, Kubernetes, or Heroku. Learn more and try it free at retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog. And by cross-browser testing of SmartBear, the innovator behind the tools that make it easier for you to create better software faster. If you're building a website and don't know how it's going to render across different browsers or even mobile devices, you'll want to give this tool a shot. It's the only all-in-one testing platform that lets you run automated, visual, and manual UI tests across thousands of real desktop and mobile browsers. Make sure every experience is perfect for everyone who uses your site. And it's easy and completely free to try. Check it out at crossbrowsertesting.com slash changelog. Again, crossbrowsertesting.com slash changelog. That does speak to another difference with collaboration versus these things is like we're talking a lot about products and services you know amazon's products fiverr is services uber is a service and it's a unidirectional review of course there are opportunity for like i think an uber driver can also mark a rider as like a problem or whatever yeah they can review you as well but collaboration is inherently collaborative right it's in the word like it's bi-directional and there's not just like this person's services were insufficient for me, so I'm not giving them my 30 bucks, or I don't think it was worth 30 bucks. This is like two people, or maybe more, five people, teaming up, like melding together to create something that they couldn't create on their own. And that's a much more, I don't know, dynamic and kind of like interwoven relationship. Harder to just review that. Don't you think, Jeff? 
Well, I mean, you you leave a star rating, and then you also can like type something. Like you can leave like three stars and say like this person's handwriting was great, but the words they were writing were incoherent. You know, like right. But they're gonna have something to say about you as well, and maybe that. Oh, it's bidirectional. Yeah, it's bidirectional. Yeah. So like the 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 project. So there's like the project owner. And then there's the roles, like that's how it works. So there's there's basically two types of roles. There's an owner role, and there's then then there's like roles that the owner creates. So you have like a, the project owner who's basically like the admin, and you have people who can join the role. So like yeah, so like if I create a project, I can be like the project manager, and then I can create like four developer roles. I create like front end, back end, like two QA roles, and whenever somebody finishes their work and they decide like I'm going to leave the project now, they click finish project. And it's a bi-directional review. I can leave a review about you. You can leave a review about me. We can both choose to not leave reviews. One of us can leave a review. It's bi-directional. And the review is a star rating plus a written review. Okay. Or just a yeah. star rating. I mean, I, I know that reputation matters. But if we're speaking specifically to Fine Collabs, as you said before, Jeff, I don't think it quite matters just yet. I think the nut you need to crack is is the fact that there are people out there with similar interests and giving them a place to connect. And right now that's rando through Twitter, buddy, friend, whatever told me, uh, somebody recommended it's the, the typical word of mouth, you know, social network way that it happens. There's no place to, to go and say, my name's Jeff. I dig music. I'm looking for collaborators or I'm looking to collaborate with other musicians on XYZ genre. Where do I go find these kinds of people and, and put my two cents in and put my talents into the pool? And there's not really, that I'm aware of at least, a place to do that. That seems to be the place where you focus your attention rather than reputation, which sure, it does matter, but you need the marketplace first first before the reputation comes into play. My thesis is that there is a problem with the norms. So, um, you know, on Fiverr, you know, you're going to get paid or you're not going to get paid for your work. So there's an implicit norm of actually your reward being highly correlated with how good of a job you do. But like in software, like, or in writing music with other people, like people just flake all the time. And the people who don't flake become Coldplay. It's like that simple. And the reason we don't have more cold... Is it that simple? I mean, well, you might not like Coldplay. So, like, <laughs> like I go the same mode. For, for Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. Yeah. I mean, how do you succeed if you're, like, a healthy person who has digital skills and, like, some small notion of what creativity might embody? You just work. Like, it's that simple. It's not very complicated. And yet we just have norms that, like, make it much more complicated like no i can't i like i gotta wait for my muse like netflix has a new show that i gotta go watch and then like i gotta binge this thing yeah well, those are people that that don't belong in my opinion then i mean don't belong those to are the what? excuse makers in the well, collaboration <laughs> I, right in the collaboration I, I don't think that they would uh those aren't the people i think are seeking the opportunities I, I would imagine that at least because Okay, if I'm a musician and you're a musician and I dig the kind of music you're doing and I go to a marketplace where I want to find people, I want to put my my hat into the to the bucket, so to speak, I'm going to show up and I'm going to want to know what the reward is. I'm going to say, well, is this a free opportunity? Is this a, you know, a social credit opportunity? Is this a get paid opportunity? And if so, let me put my application in. Let me put my hat in. Let me raise my flag, whatever that you know, digital artifact is inside of Fine Collabs. I want to tell whomever's running that collab that I want to I want to get involved, right? 
that doesn't really exist now. Later on, reputation will matter. Yeah. But reputation is like wisdom. It will come through experience. Right. Right. You need to have the marketplace and the reputation system will will play itself out based on just just doing, just showing up, just doing. If they don't, if they don't, if they flake, like you say most people do, they're going to be clear that they're flakes. He's already coded the reputation system. So like it's there. Maybe it's It's all there. Yeah. I mean, like it could take different forms and it could change over time, but that's there. What needs to be there is that matchmaking. Right, exactly. Well, really, I mean, it comes down to, 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 I think, volume and to enough people coming in the door who are really, like, willing and wanting to do this work. I mean, right now we've got, like, kind of a few projects on there where the people are really cranking on the projects, and they're believers. Like, they believe in what this thing is built to do, and they're willing to, like, bear with the cold start. You know, I will shower those people with my gratitude uh, in all kinds of ways. You know, I think that will continue. I will continue being extremely grateful for the early adopters, and eventually it will build momentum because I just I think that this is something that really we need to have just better norms around. So you, we talked maybe it's even before we hit record, but we were talking about bootstrapping versus versus funding earlier on. I know we had hit record. You talked about how you did a thing, which was basically burning money, and how this is like SE Daily is funding Fine Collabs in terms of development capital. And I'm curious if you've considered saying, well, I'm in the Valley. I know a lot of, I'm connected here and I have a money problem. Cause you could, you could go the core route, you know, you could do the concierge, whatever you call it, like take your early adopters and blow it out for them, make it really worth it for them. If you had cash, like lots of it, have you considered money to burn going out and trying to raise some money or are you trying to keep this all all in the house? Indie hack. I mean, maybe, you know, like I wouldn't mind having some more money, but like speaking of norms, I don't really like the norm of like you take money and then you're like subservient to the people that you take money from. Like if you take money for a mortgage, you don't have to like send the bank monthly updates about how your house is going. Like it's just a stupid, it's like a really stupid set of norms, I think, that exist around a lot of the VC stuff. It's like mostly to stroke the egos of the venture capitalists and i just think it's hilarious and kind of preposterous and you know and i don't need it like so like why sign up for that like and what does money get you like it lets you run faster does that even matter like this problem has existed since i was in college it could have been solved back then like nobody's doing it well you (laughs) You talked about how Cora spent money on the early adopters in order to make it worthwhile for them the hard part with a social network which fine collabs essentially is is that making making value for the initial adopters and so you could use money to do that like you could literally give them money or something i mean you could be more creative so that that's the answer to what would it get you that's what it would so i tried that i tried that already so i tried that already and i might try it again at scale though i think is kind of where jared's at is blow it out is not yeah, like blow it out. But like if it worked a little bit, you can get a lot the, more. The event you'd mentioned, you know, the extra flair on site, swag, you know, I'm not saying that you whatever. have to take VC funding for that. I'm just saying, like, have you thought about that process and maybe that's a route towards success? Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I would much rather first try like going on changelog though. Yeah. You know, no. like, <laughs> you know, like when, it, here. when it comes to marketing. So like th- the first business I built or I tried to build like after software engineering daily was this business called ad for prize. And like ad for prize was basically like where a, another network effects business where I tried to solve the, uh, the cold start problem with paid acquisition. 
and I burned all of my money. So mm. it's like paid acquisition is really, really, yeah. I mean, it's fun in the sense that like you see results, but you don't really know like how sustainable those results yeah. are if you subtracted the capital. It's just hilarious and very dangerous. And so, and early on, like my leaning was to do the same thing with fine collabs. So I did these, you know, fine collabs hackathons. I did a couple and I, I, you know, threw some cash at the problem and you just get, you just get skewed results. Like, and that, that's, and that's not like, I'm not sure I'm looking for the person who is, who is motivated, you know, purely by money. Cause like, like in college, if I had fine collabs, I would have been all in on this thing. I would have, I would have leaned into this thing so hard because like that's what I did with Quora. I was like, I am so desperate to find people who think like Silicon Valley people because I was University of Texas, which is, you know, kind of at, in in Austin, which is sort of like the home of lackadaisical creativity. Um <laughs> and and uh, Burn. I mean, that's kind of changing as as the tech companies are are mm. sort of like, you know, infusing it with a little more you know, realism about what it takes to, to, uh, you know, to succeed in technology at the greatest heights. But like, I certainly did not find that in college and I was craving it and I found it on Quora. And so like, if you find, if the early find collabs community is these people who are just like, look, we're just going to build stuff. Like that's what motivates us is building stuff and creativity. And like money is a means to an end for building stuff. So Yeah. I don't know. So money eventually, like absolutely, I would love to have fine collabs, paid hackathons and things like that. So you're going the organic route for now. Uh, admirable. It's also the route that I would tend to go as well for the same reasons as you stated about VC requirements. Are you building fine collabs on fine collabs? Like I know it's open source. Are you quote unquote dog fooding or as our friends at GitLab like to call it champagneing, where they drink their own champagne? <laughs> yeah. Uh so I have a find collabs, like a help collab. Like it's like a collab. It's called uh find collabs, help and support. So you can like file bugs and stuff mm. in there. But open source project though. You think you could use it to find some collabs for your project or who's building it with you? Find collabs. So find collabs. Yeah. There's a, a developer that I work with Sterling, Sterling Salzburg. Shout out to Sterling. Um, big ups to Sterling. He is an incredible developer and designer. Please do not try to hire him away from Fine Collabs, but he, <laughs> he is he is amazing. No poaching. So a lot of the design intuitions and the UI UX stuff, and of course the engineering, uh, it's like a pretty well built React app at this point. Is uh, is Sterling's magic? On the subject of acquisition, though, are you either of you familiar with the way Airbnb growth hacked early on? The photos thing. Properties opportunities. You know, was they actually scraped uh, Craigslist? They didn't have a an API, and that's how they bootstrapped early on to have a marketplace. Was people right. with listings on on Craigslist? Yes, Craigslist did not have an API, but Airbnb used that to their advantage. And the reason why I bring that up is because is because it seems like based on your passion for Fiverr, you have the inverse of Fiverr with. Fine collabs in the fact that Fiverr has a marketplace of talent and collaborators go there to find talent rather than the op opposite, which is a marketplace of collaborators who desire talent to say, here's a place you come to find things within your interests. And the reward system is varied, whether it's a open source contribution free welcome to the community thing 
or a paid opportunity, it seems that you have the inverse. Have you considered using Craigslist the way that Airbnb did and use Fiverr as your opportunity pool? Like reach out to ha- have opportunities, right. and build a marketplace of collaborations and allow Fiverr to, to just en masse come to collabs, find collabs and, and just join up and, and collaborate, do the thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little things we could do to solve the cold start problem. There's a lot of things that are operationally intensive to do, and I'm trying to first attempt the ones that are less operationally intensive because I have a team of basically two people. So um, I would love to do things like that. I would love to scrape. I mean, we we you know I would love to scrape Fiverr. You know, I don't want to make an enemy out of Fiverr. I would well, lo- even personally reaching out to some of them. Let's say you've got open source opportunities. Well, then tap the talent pool within Fiverr. I'm not. I don't even know if this is even legal. I don't even know if I'm <laughs> suggesting you to break the law. Yeah, I don't know. We are really. not lawyers. What I'm trying to say is just have you considered how you can use other networks like this? Oh, sure. You know, well aware people to say, hey, there's opportunities here. And sure, as you said before coming on the show, talking to a large software developer community like yours is is an opportunity to share this idea with like minded people. I'm just wondering if. Uh, if you consider that. Changelog is that network, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you guys are the open source. I mean, you're the open source media company, basically. So, you know, most of these projects are open source. So, like, I'll see how this goes. You know, part of my shtick is, like, I just don't like to spend all of my time on one thing. So I kind of yeah. have, like, a you know a set of projects that are in a round-robin queue. And, you know, my, my processor just kind of, like, go round-robins through these different things and works on them. Um, you know, until I'm kind of, you know, wanting to go do something else and then I go do something else. And like, I'm, you know, this is one of these round robin things. Um, so like going on the change log and people learning about find collabs and then going to do it, that's like more of an async thing Mm -hmm. than like figuring out some kind of scraping mechanism or some kind of manual import mechanism for, for solving the chicken and egg problem. Well, let's, let's key in quite tight then. You're speaking directly to our audience right now. Tell them what you want. What? How can they play a part in your success? What do you offer them? What, what can they do? What do you need? So my guess is that uh, a large proportion of the audience will find me extremely abrasive uh, and probably will not at all be interested in the kind of creativity <laughs> that I'm offering them. Uh, like, I doubt that. You know, like high, uh, kind of high, uh, you know, high commitment creativity that you're not getting paid for uh (laughs) on this on this guy's platform like uh you know (laughs) i love it i'm really selling it (laughs) yeah you really are um but uh but i mean if it resonates with you then like come on find collabs like i'm i'm on there every day you know like i just i i just made a song with um with this guy td bryant that's uh he's working with us as a as a community uh community manager uh, Timothy, and he's also a rapper. So, uh, you know, I had a beat and I, you know, I gave him a beat and he, and he rapped over it and we found collabs. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for people who are ready to ship and, uh, and you're ready to ship and you're sick of, uh, waiting, you know, you're sick of working on projects by yourself, you're bored with the state of your work, you know, you're looking for like, the kind of creativity that the internet enables at a collaborative level rather than an individual level. Find collabs, you know? Come on, find, find collabs. collabs. 
Love it. You can make a new project. You can find existing projects. We've put a, a ton of engineering work into our search engine that is just Algolia, basically. So it's actually <laughs> nothing, but it, you can search like kind of effectively and find other projects. And um, yeah, we got video chat. We got and it's open source too, right? No, it is not. It's not open source. No, it's super. I thought it was open source. No, 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 no. It's the hypocritical model. Gotcha. <laughs> the hypocritical model. <laughs> Well, either way, you know, I, I like the I like the idea, and geez, dude, like we love you, man. We think you're awesome, and we'd love to find ways to support you. I sure hope the audience isn't uh, by you like you had said they might be, but I I think they'll love you just as well. I hope so, and that's awesome, man. I hope so. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. We appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Changelog. Hey, guess what? We have discussions on every single episode now. So head to changelog.com to discuss this episode. And if you want to help us grow this show, reach more listeners, and influence more developers, do us a favor and give us a rating or review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you use Overcast, give us a star. If you tweet, tweet a link. If you make lists of your favorite podcasts, include us in it. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, Rollbar, our monitoring service, and Linode, our cloud server of choice. This episode is hosted by myself, Adam Stukoviak, and Jared Santo, and our music is done by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com master, or go into your podcast app and search for Changelog Master. You'll find it. Thank you for tuning in this week. We'll see you again soon.